and welcome to Maintenance Phase, the podcast that will gladly trade you two regular milk tickets for one chocolate milk ticket. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I knew we were talking about school lunches and I that was my one very vivid memory. <laughs> the podcast that serves you turkey tetrazzini. <laughs> I'm Aubrey Gordon. I am Michael Hobbs. If you'd like to support the show, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash maintenance phase. We're now releasing bonus episodes so you can enjoy some bonus content. Support the show if you want to and don't if you don't. Keep listening and never give us a dime. It's chill. That's right. And today we are talking about school lunches, I think. Aubrey, I'm so excited. Oh, I can't wait. This is our first, I think, straightforward clickbait episode. (laughs) I am going to title this episode... School lunches, pea hacking, and the original Pizzagate. The original Pizzagate? That's like how we're drawing people in. But the actual story that we're going to talk about today is basically the rise and fall of a single food and nutrition researcher who was one of the most prominent people in this field for more than a decade. His name is Brian Wansink. And I think it's a really good story. It's like by far our most methodology queenie episode. (laughs) But also, if we called it Brian Wansink, nobody would listen to it. So we've gotten you here with a catchy title. And now we're going to pump statistics into you. (gasps) I can't wait. Also, like my knowledge of this topic runs like an eighth of an inch deep. Excellent. The only reason the name rings a bell is a listener sent in an email being like, I think you should do an episode about this guy. And I told you about it when you were like, I don't know what I'm going to do for my next episode. And then my eyes got as big as the dinner plates in the research we're about to cover. Well, the the great and hilarious thing is that I told you about it. I was like, apparently there's this whole like nutrition research scandal. And you were like, oh, Brian Wansing? Yeah. (laughs) Peak Michael Hobbs response. So I have actually, I've been following this for a while because, full disclosure, I was like one of the people who totally fell for this guy. (gasps) I'm not going to pretend to be above any of the biases that we're going to talk about or any of really, I think, the structural problems in media and in academic research that this episode is like an entry point into. You know, he spent more than a decade being like one of the most prominent sort of brand name researchers in this field. He wrote two best-selling books. He was on the sort of the TED Talk circuit. When this entire downfall happened, the New York Times writes an article about it, this kind of perfunctory article. And at the end, they note that he had been quoted in 60 New York Times articles over the course of almost 20 years. Good Lord. So one of the frustrating things about this, honestly, is that for our main protagonist, Brian Wansink, there's actually very little information available about his early life and sort of how he got into the field of food research. What we do know about Brian is that he starts as a marketing professor, Uh which is that we're already in the foreshadowing section. I was going to say, this does not bode well. This is an excerpt from his book, Mindless Eating, which comes out in 2007. I'm never sure what to say when someone asks how I first became interested in food, psychology, and marketing. I usually say I really liked Vance Packard's 1957 book, The Hidden Persuaders, because he tried to show how advertising unconsciously affects us. I think this also happens when we eat, except The Hidden Persuaders are the way we set up our tables, our kitchens, and our routines. I'm going to go out on a limb and also assume that Brian Wansink is not a fat dude. Oh, absolutely not. He's a skinny white guy. He's blonde. He looks around like 6'1", something like that. I'm um, looking up a picture of him just to, yeah, there you go. 
He's got kind of the Ed Begley Jr. kind of look about him. Yeah. Like suburban dad. Like, do you guys want some nachos? Like calling in from the kitchen. Yes. Guy who owns a recumbent bike. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Is the vibe with this guy. Yes. (laughs) I mean, the only thing that I think that we can sort of pull out of these origin stories is really that he's fascinated by the idea that people, especially consumers, make choices without really knowing why they're doing it. Right. So after he gets his PhD from Stanford, he's basically a kind of normal marketing professor at various business schools. He works at Dartmouth. He goes to the Wharton Graduate School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. And eventually he sort of lands at the University of Cornell in 2005. Mm. Because there's kind of no biographical details in his books, I kind of had to piece together his career basically from his like Google Scholar citations. So I just like organized all of his research in chronological order and just started looking at the kinds of studies that he was publishing. Over the course of his career, he publishes over 480 academic studies. Man, oh man. So what, where does that productivity come from? I mean, we'll we'll get there. Fuck. Okay, shit. Huge. I can't tell you without a huge spoiler. Okay. (laughs) For the first 10, 15 years of his career, the research that he's producing is like very straightforward marketing research. So one thing that he's really obsessed with is this idea of unit size that, you know, if people buy a large bag of chips, they'll eat the whole bag. And if they buy a small bag of chips, they'll eat the whole bag. Uh. But he's doing all of this research to give advice to companies on like how big their unit sizes should be. Like it's it's very clear that what he's doing is like he's helping companies sell more products. Like that's the way that all of his work is framed throughout the 1990s. Yeah, this is the halo top approach, right? Yes. Don't stop till you hit the bottom. Like, but, 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 like, let's just assume that you're going to eat the whole package of whatever you buy. Exactly. So his early work shows that like what you name food is actually really important for whether or not people buy it. And it even affects their taste. So people will actually rate like wine that is from California or that they think is from California as more tasty than wine that they think is from North Dakota. People rated Freedom Fries as tasting superior to French fries. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those places where it's like, it's very tempting to believe that we're all much more sophisticated than we are and our decision making is really different than it is. But we're all kind of on autopilot and we're all way more predictable than we would like to think that we are. Completely. We all are profoundly affected by marketing and we all think that we're not. Yeah. Like I bought a Casper mattress, man. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. Not. It's not because I like did a literature deep dive. It's like, no, no, they mentioned it on like five different podcasts. Truly two days ago, I bought a Helix mattress for exactly you know what? the same reason. <laughs> a fun fact, Aubrey, when your Helix mattress comes, you're more likely to eat more of it if it comes in a large package than a small package. <laughs> So, I mean, a lot of his early work is sort of around these same kinds of ideas. It's basically trying to figure out what makes people purchase products. He finds that you eat more fat if you put olive oil on your bread than butter, but you also eat less bread. His studies get a little bit of play in the media, but like he's not really like a name in nutrition research. Mm. That all changes in 2005. He publishes two studies that are, like, explosive in the press. Like, you could not avoid these stories at this time. The first, I'm sure you've heard of this one. Do you know the bottomless bowl study? I don't know the bottomless. Is this, like, an all-you-can-eat kind of thing? Yeah. So they did this thing. He has this, like, lab now that has, like, hidden cameras and two-way mirrors. And it's all these ways of, like, surveilling the way that people eat and why they eat differently. And the study is exactly what it sounds like. They build a bowl that has, like, a little tube underneath it where it's actually feeding more soup in 